curtains and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storer. And I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 159, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, happy fourth anniversary. Mm, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Nuts. So that that for our listeners, that is the fourth anniversary of Paul's fabulous podcast, Mysteries and Monsters. And you celebrated with an interview on Reeves Cook's show, Paratalk. And it was yes. a really great interview. Yes, I thought I was very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the British Bigfoot question, you mean? Uh, amongst other things, yeah. Yeah. No, it yes. was great fun. You handled it, you handled it with, with grace and aplomb. Yes, yes. I'm, uh, I'm learning. Always learning. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I like Reeves. He was really great when, when he had me on the show. But uh, when he brought up British Bigfoot, I was expecting, I was expecting to hear a, a punch land. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought I dealt with it, uh, you know, in, in, in the spirit that it was offered. I agree. I agree. Again, it was a great show. Uh, you'll find a link to that at ghostryguys.com and, of course, on all the social media. But how does it feel? Being, you are now four years into the podcast game. Uh, sometimes it, it feels like I've been doing it forever, and sometimes it feels like I've only just started. I know that feeling well, because I've been doing this for six years, and I feel exactly the same. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a strange one. I still have days when I think I'm dreadful, and uh, I still have days when I think, yeah, this is quite good. So... <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. But to, yeah, and always fretting that people will just stop coming on. And then I look and see that I've got 15 interviews lined up for the next two months. I was going to say, you're, you've got your uh, episodes locked until April something. Uh, I've just booked my first couple for May now. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always, I do the same thing, right? Again, we've, we've been, we've been sort of at the level we're at for a little while now. Uh, Cause obviously we had to rebuild after, after the end of 2020. And so we're kind of back to where we were at the height of everything before. And I always, that voice in the back of my head always goes, but what if it all goes away? What if people just stop listening en masse? What if they're just downloading it by accident? You know, what if, and uh, yeah, so no, I, I get it. But I, I'm here to say, and I've said this many times and I say it because it's true. This is merely the beginning for young Paul Bestel and his both mysteries and monsters. <laughs> As for me, as I mentioned, I turned 40 a week ago uh, and or a week ago tomorrow. And it was kind of a funny thing because uh, the my birthday was on Friday, but on Thursday night, I went to go see that Adam Driver dinosaur movie at <laughs> Cineplex, uh, which I, I don't, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but I, I, you know, I don't know that necessarily has to be seen on a big screen. Although right at the end of the film, someone in the projection booth must have knocked the projector because everything went black. I legitimately thought I'd gone fucking blind. And the sound is still going, but everything, it's just dark. And there was maybe 15 minutes left in the movie. It was just, just after midnight. And the way that particular location works, once the last movie's running, good luck finding an employee. They, they <laughs> have just lit out for the territories. You're, you're alone in this place. So I just, I thought, well, I get the idea. I'll look up the rest on Wikipedia. I walked out. And so it was after midnight or just coming up on midnight, I should say. So my friend, she stayed up to text me to wish me happy birthday. 
And then I thought, well, what do I do now? You know, it was ticking over to mid and midnight just ticked over. And I, I've had kind of a fraught history in March. You know, I, I tend to get pretty bummed out on my birthdays and, and I was trying to figure out why. And then Nick, Nick reminded me, well, you know, remember those, all those people who've died in March over the last 10 years. And I think, oh, right. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot about that. So yeah, that, that would be it. But I was wandering around. I thought I'm not ready to go home yet. So I wandered into this Irish pub and the band was playing, if I ever leave this world alive by flogging Molly. Mm. And I sat there drinking my beer. And I remember that the very first time I heard that song was 20 years ago, it was 2003. And I, I, so I thought I could look it up and see exactly when that was. And it was exactly one week shy of 20 years. I first heard that song live at the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver on March 31st, 2003. And so I just had this nice little moment of connection with my past sitting there listening to this song. And then out of nowhere, this drunk French musician sidles up next to me. He's ordering drinks and then he orders shots for him and the staff. And then for out of nowhere, he asks me if I want one. And I, well, if you're buying, sure, I'll take it. It's free. And uh, so I, I had a shot of tequila with him and the bar staff. And after he does that, he introduces himself. His name was, and I, I messaged this to you after it happened. It mm. was the same first name as a very old friend of mine who I sort of had had to lose touch with for various reasons. Uh, because he just had become a, a, not the person I used to know. And I've always missed him, but it was, a, it was again, one of those necessary things. And this yeah. musician was, that, that was his name. And so it was this, I, you know, I don't normally, I don't normally do the whole album. Is there someone looking out for anything? But on, on that night, I kind of thought, yeah, yeah, there's someone's out there just kind of patting me on the head going, hey, you're not as alone as I think you are. And that was kind of <laughs> nice. Chances of meeting two people called Humperdinck is remarkable. <laughs> I'm just blessed, Paul. What can I say? Marvelous. And then, so I, again, I was reminded that you know, you're not always as alone as you think you are. And then last night, I had the wonderful reminder that I'm not as old as I felt like 40 made me because I happened to be at this coffee shop and I was, I was listening to this first date unfold next to me. And it was kind of a car wreck. Uh, I shouldn't say that, but it was very, it was, it was fascinating because this guy was really interesting. And had a lot to say, but the girl just, she wasn't giving him anything to work with. And he mentioned a concert coming up that he was going to go see. And she didn't give a shit. And I, I was, I was this close to just elbowing her out of the way and saying, get out of here, lady. Me and this guy got stuff to talk about. Because <laughs> again, we both had the same taste in music, everything. And then she, 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 he was getting one, one or two syllable responses. But mm. one of the shows that came up was the band Sick of It All playing here in Montreal. And now Sick of It All is a New York City hardcore band. They've been around since, I want to say, 86. And I've only ever seen them once at the Voodoo Lounge in Dublin in <laughs> 2006. It was their 20th anniversary tour. And then I happened to see, because of this guy chatting, and that they were coming to town. So I, I went, that's what I did last night. And now I've only been to one other show since the pandemic ended. You know, I went to those wrestling shows, but in terms of concerts, uh, the only one I'd been to is that Muse show. I, I've only been to, yeah, it was my first, my first, definitely my first kind of punk slash hardcore show in decades. And I was a little bit concerned I wasn't going to enjoy myself because again, I'm, you know, older, I'm softer. I was always soft physically, but now I'm also soft emotionally. And <laughs> I know I had a great goddamn time. I had a great time. I, I still stayed the hell away from the circle pit because I'm not stupid, but it was, <laughs> it was a ton of fun. And I, I only had to put my earplugs in about halfway through. So I feel like, and my ears are not all fucked up this morning. So I think, okay, 
not as old as I thought I was, not as alone as I thought I was. And so I'm, I'm mo- moving forward into a, a bright, optimistic future. That's always a good way to start your fifth decade. Oh, I wish you hadn't phrased it like that. <laughs> Piss off. (laughs) Game, set, match. (laughs) Well, folks, on this episode, we are thrilled to present a batch of listener stories. It's been a little while since we've done one of these shows, and we have such a great array. We have uh, a number of stories from Mexico, which I think is one of the first times we've had stories from Mexico on this show. We also have a recorded story. The listener recorded on their phone and sent into us. So we're just going to go right into it. Although, of course, before we do, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the strawberries to our cream, which is to say that together we make a delicious treat. Is that weird? No. We're just going to go with it. We're just going to lean into it. Paul came up with the metaphor. If anyone's pissed off by it, blame Paul. There you go. And if you like the metaphor, it was my idea. (laughs) And while we'd like to thank all our patrons, we'd especially like to thank our newest uh, patron. It it is one. And it is... Catherine. Catherine, thank you so, so much for being a patron. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate every single one of you. All you folks who listen to the Ghost Story Guys, you help make us who we are. But patrons are the ones who truly allow the show to continue. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to hear about all the cool shit you get, wait till the end of the show. But we'll tell you now, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. You don't have to listen to any of those nasty, dynamically inserted ads. And who doesn't want that? Those ads suck. Believe me, if I could not have them in the show, I would. But we got bills to pay. And so if you want to avoid all that nonsense, head to patreon.com slash guys. One last thing, shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. Find more from Jerry by searching for Rainy Days from Ghosts on all music streaming platforms. And if you want to hire them for your next project, shoot Jerry an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. All right, my friend, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with listener mail. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're going to be telling some really fantastic listener stories. We have quite a lot of them, so we're going to, we're going to have to race. I mean, as much as, we, as much as we ever race. You guys know what this is all about. Uh, yeah. To get through them all. Yeah, yeah, just like that. No, that's exactly how it's going to happen. All right, so our first comment comes from Paul. Uh, I'm assuming not you, although it might be, because the comment <laughs> is, awesome show, keep kicking ass. Uh, so, uh, thank you, Paul. Wink. (laughs) Our next message is from John. And John says, just a quick one to say thank you for reading my email story of my encounter with the fairy lights ghost. Made my day hearing it out loud. Caught a few older episodes and one caught my attention more than the others. So they're all great. Just that how Brennan described how he felt as the shadow person fell through him. That's exactly how I felt when those lights passed through me. Also, currently listening to your dreams episode, All You Have to Do is Dream, which triggered a very strange dream I had years ago. It was the one and only time that my wife's auntie had been in my dreams. We were on a roller coaster and it all went tits up. The track buckled, the carriage left said track 
and I saw her die right before my eyes, just before it was my turn to eat the concrete. I woke up thinking, fuck. But something felt different. It felt like it meant something. Something was going to happen. Later that week, two days, my wife received a call and her aunt had suffered a stroke. It freaked me the fuck out. Probably a coincidence, but something tells me I knew something was going to happen to her. I've also had visions like deja vu of incidents or accidents of people close to me, and lo and behold, something untoward has happened. Thankfully, these don't happen too much these days, but it's always at the back of my mind. Well, thank you for sharing that, John. I've definitely heard of that that happening. And I, I mean, it could be coincidence, but I, I sort of think that's, you know, it's very coincidental. Unless you dream about family members on the reg and this just happened to coincide with that, yeah, I think it's unlikely to be pure chance. Because I, as we always say on dream episodes, I think that dreaming allows us to pick up on, I think it kind of takes us out of, of linear time a little bit and allows us to pick up on little bits of things coming and going around us. And, and I think we just interpret it as best we can, you know? So, you know, I mean, why a roller coaster? Who knows? But I, I don't think it's necessarily chance. Next up is from Charles. Charles says, I just got done listening to episode 74 and I loved it. Both radio dramas were very well done. Thank you, Charles. That is referring to, if I'm not mistaken, the radio dramas Coming Home and The Nightwire, which, yeah, they were the first audio dramas I produced for this show. And if you like that kind of thing, we have, of course, produced uh, Nightmare on 34th Street, which is an adaptation of Paul Kane's short story. And then last year, we started the transmission from the Void series, which you can also get in the Ghost Story Guys feed. And those feature three adapted short stories from horror authors as full-on audio dramas. And in fact, uh, by the time this comes out, Nailbiters Volume 2 will have been released. And that is a collection of short stories from Paul Kane, including Nightmare on 34th Street. And as a bonus added, there is not only the My Adapted script included in the book, uh, the audio script which I adapted from Paul's short story, there's also a download code for the episode, which you can down, you get uh, from, the, from the publisher. And there is also an essay in there from me on my love of radio theater. And again, that's uh, Nailbiters Volume 2 by Paul Kane. That'll be out on Amazon by the time you hear this. Next up, Bob says, I'm catching up on my backlog of podcasts, having recently returned to normal office routine and listened to your year-end episode this afternoon. I had an epiphany when you guys were discussing how priests are not always effective at cleansing. And then Paul touched on that exorcism is only a Catholic solution, and it made me think. What if that is the case because those rituals hold no significance to whatever is making the ruckus? Why on earth would an earth spirit or djinn respond to holy water and crucifixes if they mean nothing to them? Additionally, a lot of supernatural phenomena respond to intention. If a priest is intending to remove a demon, and the site is being troubled by Native American or First Nations entities, it may exasperate things, right? I think I would be angry if a descendant of the people who rounded up my family and made them pray to their deity came to the place I was residing in and started using Christian rituals to tell me I'm unwelcome. Further, I think evidence through provocation is just bad science and is the same as smacking a dog with a stick to see if he'll growl. You wouldn't reach for a coiled rattlesnake, would you? 
it seems to me that the effectiveness of human intervention in the paranormal is regional and related to people's traditions. Their intentions with regard to practices and ceremony are influential on the entities that can be found in that region. Awareness and sensitivity to what was there before may be the key in helping people with their unwanted guests. I love what you guys do and the sincere, heartfelt effort you put into it. Greetings from one of the weirdest places in America, Northeast Ohio. Well, Bob, I'm going to have to take your word on that. I don't think I've been to that part of Ohio. I've been briefly, pardon me, briefly to Gallipolis, just across the uh, the bridge from Point Pleasant. But that is that is as far as I've journeyed into, into Ohio so far. I think he makes a great point though. And I, I in that, you know, we, we we kind of approach the paranormal so often with this idea that, you know, we have a hammer and thus everything is a nail. You know, exorcism is the be all and end all. And, and I, I think it's really important to remember that everything people tell you about the paranormal has to be filtered through some, it's being filtered through their beliefs. So when they say, well, it's a Christian demon or it's a Christian monster, it's it's not. It, this, these are the names we have put on those things. It doesn't mean it is that. This is just how we have come to identify it. And I think we, I think we lose track of that sometimes, you know, because we. This is how we we you know we're so comfortable with these terms. We'll, we'll say, well, it's it's a jinn or it's a this. It doesn't mean it is. It doesn't mean like a jinn is actually a jinn. It's it's like when we we call that thing a rock. Well, it's not. It's not actually a rock. That's just what we have come to refer to it as. If it has an actual name, it is known only to the thing. And that is the same with paranormal entities. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever you want to call it, it's not that. That's just how we have come to refer to it. And I think it's always good to remember that, that we are only using our very limited set of definitions for things that we have very little actual understanding of. Yep. A great example of, of what not to do is the Humpty Doo case from Australia, where I think they fetched four different Christian religious individuals in, and uh, it just made it made things worse. And so it was just they tried different kinds of exorcism. Is that the idea? Uh, yeah, I think they were they were throwing everything at it, other than actually going out and speaking to the the local population and, and getting an elder in to see if they could help. They just well, God, went, God oh, forbid. We'll, we'll try, we'll try the Catholics, and then we'll try the Protestants, and then we'll try the Russian Orthodox, and then uh, try the Presbyterians. And uh, <laughs> none of them worked. In fact, oh, one of them it got so annoyed it just picked the Bible up and threw it across the room. Really? Get out. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> You've lost your exorcism your privileges. <laughs> <laughs> On your back. <laughs> and w- when was this? Uh, Humpty Doo was mid-90s, I think. Oh, that's recent. Well, reasonably recent. It's a very controversial case because uh, a TV station stitched up one of the participants and basically said, yeah, she's doing it. She's doing it all. That's it. Really? But they, they, it wasn't possible that she was doing it all. I guess this is like the yeah. thing with Enfield. They'll, yeah. they'll, they say, well, you know, the, the, the kids faked one or two things. Therefore, they must have faked every single thing, which is just not realistic or possible. Yeah, precisely. Next up is a message from Sam. Sam says, I am listening to the Haunting in the Military episode now. As it was playing, I did start to get an icky feeling thinking about all the harm the US and other Western countries have done in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, and the like. I started to feel like it really needed to be addressed because the episode was almost leaning, almost patriotic. Just then, you noted that there is a problematic history there. Honestly, I think you handled it brilliantly. It addressed my icky feeling without really taking away from the episode. I appreciated that you took the time to briefly address it. It's another example of why this is my favorite podcast, I think. Oh, Sam, thank you very, very much. And yeah, I mean, we... 
again, we felt it important to say something. I mean, Paul, Paul and I are pretty, we're pretty left-leaning guys. I mean, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's going to come as a surprise to anyone. But we recognize that there are needs in the world for, th- for things like a military and that we've had, we've, I, I assume we've both had friends who've served and yeah, it's, family. and family, there you go. So it, it was one of those things where we, we wanted to, again, honor the, the efforts of the people who, who have enlisted. And, and I mean, obviously not everyone who enlists is a great person. And, and again, we know that, but that, that was something we wanted to do is try and honor those people while being aware of the larger problems and the larger implications of foreign policy. And again, we try to stay away from politics on the show because, I mean, everything is so fucking political now. Everything, there's so much divisive discourse that we don't want to dig into it. But when there's something we really feel strongly about, we will we'll speak up. Like, like well, all the shit going on with, for trans people right now, you know, it, it, in a lot of places, but especially in the US. You know, we, again, I have, I have friends who are trans and it's just gross. It's just gross seeing what's happening because it's, it's just another nonsense thing being ginned up to keep you distracted from actual problems. You know, these people are trying, not trying to hurt anyone. They're just trying to live their lives. And I'm sure we'll get some angry emails for that. But uh, anyways, yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much, Sam. Denise writes, just started listening. And I think y'all are funny and make me think about the paranormal. Living in Louisiana all my life, I've lived with the paranormal stories and experiences forever. Not ready to share now. Just wanted y'all to know you guys are the real deal in my eyes. Keep doing what you're doing. P.S. Brennan, your laugh reminds me of Tim Curry when he's acting evil. Love Tim Curry. <laughs> I too love Tim Curry. So thank you very much, Denise. That is, that is a hell of a compliment. Who doesn't love Tim Curry? No one I want to know. That's for sure. Right on. And someone mentions this later in the show, but I'll, I'll, and we, I'll, we'll address it there, but I'm also going to say it here. If you want to send us a story, please don't send it via social media DM. If we're not already following you, it will get lost. We had a while back, I've mentioned this before, the Instagram account blew up, and which is wonderful, but it just means that there's so much noise in our uh, message requests area that the likelihood of us finding uh, a legitimate message that's not, hey, beautiful, will you sell my jewelry or some kind of podcast promoter uh, pimping his dubious wares, uh, yeah, the, the very slim odds. What do you mean those those jewelry adverts aren't real? If you have a collection of amazing gothic jewelry at home that you want to show me, then I am all for it. No, uh, I haven't. Look for no. disappointing. I was hoping for goth princess Paul Bestel, but I guess not. <laughs> not till I've lost a few more pounds now. <laughs> fair, fair. So yeah, so yeah, if you want to send us a message, again, send us memes through the Instagram page and we'll do our best to, to find them. But uh, if you want to send us anything that you'd like to hear on the show, your best bet is ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Now, it's time for the stories. Just before we get started, as we mentioned on this episode, this is all going to be listener stories, and one of those stories is quite lengthy. It's from our listener, Claudia, and so we're going to break her story into three parts, which we'll read at the beginning, middle, and end of this episode. Those stories are entitled Letters from Mexico, parts one, two, and three, and again, they will be distributed throughout the show. This is Letters from Mexico, part one. Let me begin by explaining this. 
As long as I can remember, I have had situations I can't explain. In my mother's own words, we come from a family of witches who didn't know we were witches, or so connected to the paranormal world, until just a few years ago. I have many stories to tell you from both sides, but to not bother you and take much of your time, I will just tell you some of mine, some of which were connected with my mom. Also, I'm half a skeptic. I do believe these things happen, and we still can't explain them in a scientific way, and you have to live them to know they exist. As I like to say, first the mundane, then whatever it may be. Let's begin with ghosts, or spirits, or whatever they may be. My mom told me the next story. It seems that when I was a little one, around four to five years old, I would play around the hall of the house that connects all the bedrooms. She says that often I would look up at the ceiling and play around with someone, and when she asked, I always said there were angels flying on the ceiling. I think I said angels because at that time my family was Christian, Mexico here, by the way, where religion is a strong part of culture and tradition. Around that age, I couldn't sleep at night, even if I shared a bedroom with my sister. I would wake up most of the time and there was someone standing in the closet, or one I remember most, there were faces in the dark that were looking at me. And yeah, I, I have a great imagination even now, but I can't stop thinking why it happened so often. More than once, I also heard my name around the house, when alone. I know the brain does that, it is quite normal in a healthy brain, by the way, but this sounds different than the inner voice in my head that would do that. With the passing of time and in different years, I had encountered shadows, different from shadow people, had felt something around me when alone or in different buildings, and even saw them very clearly in the corner of my eye. The last encounters, now 28 years ago, were something quite interesting. I live in another city now, one of the oldest here in Mexico and full of legends. Once sleeping on my bed with my cat Lucifer, yes, of course he's called Lucifer, I woke out of nowhere and looked at the door of the bedroom. There was a woman looking at me. She seemed to be some kind of nurse like in old pictures. She was smiling and I didn't feel afraid, but I felt she was somehow checking on me and my cat. Why the cat? Lucifer was looking at her as well. Not like when cats look at the air to scare the shit out of their owners, but paying attention and curious the way he acts when other people are around. I was tired, so I just said hi and laid down on the bed to fall asleep. It sounds weird, I know, but by now I always try to react as normally and calmly as possible when I see them around, even going so far as to talk to them. And like I said, this is just part one of three from Claudia in these stories from Mexico. And again, we don't really have many stories from Mexico on this show, so I was very excited to receive Claudia's email. And Paul, I love the nonchalance of just waking up and going, yeah, well, it's a ghost nurse. Hey, go back to bed. <laughs> well, you know, they're not bothering you, then why bother them? Seems fairly reasonable. That's it. I mean, I spent most of my teenage years hoping a nurse would appear in my bedroom. Didn't happen. So I guess, you know, why question it when it does happen? <laughs> Sorry, Claudia. I'm sure that's not what you had in mind when you sent us the message. Wash your dirty mouth. You know, at this point, you'd have to power wash my entire brain pan, and I just don't know if there's <laughs> enough water left in the world. <laughs> I'm really excited to explore the rest of Claudia's stories, though, because she's had some really interesting stuff happen. And there's even some stuff which we, we ended up not including just for reasons of, of length, because this is going to be a lengthy show. I mean, they're all, I don't know why I say that anymore. This is going to be a long show. They're all long shows. I, I, I don't know what it is. I'll say to myself, geez, I, I hope that episode was long enough. And then I'll go into edit and I'm, I'm, I'm on, you know, segment five of eight and all of a, already it's two hours. And I think, I don't know what I was worried about. 
<laughs> yes, I always like anybody with an interestingly named cat. I used to work with somebody many years ago at the lead mill whose cat was called Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> she, was, she was once talking to somebody who didn't know what her cat was called. Right. And she was like saying, oh, yeah, so I was sat on the settee talking to Jesus. And he's like, what? <laughs> and, and she just carried on. And he didn't say anything at the point. And then we got outside and he's like, God, what's she on about her talking to Jesus on a settee? What's she on about? Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's the name of the cat. Amazing. I mean, that lends itself to so, and this is when we lose all the Catholic listeners, but, but you know, it lends itself to so many great things like, oh, Jesus just threw up on the carpet again. <laughs> Jesus is over in the corner licking his nuts. <laughs> Had to take Jesus to get fixed. He was just humping everything. <laughs> yeah. Strange, strange named animals. I remember once hearing somebody shouting at some, uh, saying, Andrew, stop it. Stop that, Andrew. And when we got when I walked past their their garden, it was a a labradoodle called Andrew, which was a very strange. Of course, a dog Andrew. Maybe she had an ex husband she was trying to defame. It's a strange area. When Nick and I years ago we were talking about getting a dog, and I'm glad we didn't because I think we'd be very bad dog owners. But I said I wanted to name the dog. I had a very particular name. She was not on board, and I tried to convince her. I tried to convince her. She said, "I want you to imagine you got to go down to the park and look for him." You got to call this name out. And I said, well, people will like it because it, it means a mistake. Yeah, but what else does it mean, Bren? And well, the name was Boner. I thought Boner would have been a great name for a dog. And my lovely wife really disagreed. But, you know, I just imagine, you know, like a big, goofy dog who just makes a mistake and everyone goes, oh, Boner. Yeah, it just, it just, it works. It just <laughs> works. Coming up later on shows the Disney Channel didn't green light. Oh, Boner. Boner threw up on the bed again. <laughs> Boy, Boner sure is hungry these days. <laughs> I, I thought this would have been genius, and uh, yeah, Nick did not agree. I think we finally settled on Rufus as the name for our fictional dog. But um, yeah, and then we got the cats, and I, again, I, again, again, I pushed for Boner, and again, I was denied. <laughs> I just think it's a cool name and not because of the obvious thing, but just because like, again, boner is a mistake. Oh, he pulled a boner. And I think that would just be a great, a great name for a pet. But again, I was, I was outvoted. Yes. I'm, I'm with Nick here. I'm afraid. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Q Station from Jaden. I sent you an Instagram message, but you guys are just so popular, it has been lost into the abyss. I moved here to Australia from New Zealand earlier this year. I had to temporarily leave my beloved Kelpie named Frankie at home with my parents, but he's a good life. Sorry if I'm rambling a little here. I moved to the suburb of Manly with my girlfriend Nikki. I mentioned to her cousins about going to do a visit at the Q station and they seem keen but no one is a believer like I am. We sat on the idea for a while until my girlfriend got me a surprise ghost tour there. There were seven of us 
most of whom were not believers in the unexplainable. In fact, one guy was planning to debunk anything that may happen whilst we were on the tour. We all had pretty low expectations on the hope of actually feeling, smelling or lastly seeing anything. I was just excited to check out the old buildings. Even the idea of walking around the grounds of the old station after dark excited me. Thousands of people are believed to have passed away at the site. Most of those were not recorded, mainly down to Australia's dark past. We set off, starting at the chambers where they would wash everyone's belongings when they arrived off the ships. It's supposedly occupied by a young girl who got trapped in the steamer and therefore passed away by burning. I didn't feel anything spooky or unsettling there. We were then handed out EMF devices, I know what you guys think of those, and there seem to be a few overhead wires potentially giving them a false reading at some locations. We moved to a couple of other locations and nothing really happened, so we made our way out to the old hospital. We saw some very convincing photos taken by previous tours, taken off iPhones and they were terrifying, clearly showing the outline of a nurse's uniform. But we didn't see anything and I got annoyed so I decided to pull my pants down a little enough to give the nurse's uniform a brown eye. Don't ask why I did that. It was random. Shortly after, the air temperature dropped and the MF started going crazy. <laughs> Just got up a minute there. <laughs> 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 Fucking moon in a ghost. <sighs> we proceeded to go to the gravedigger's house built in the 1830s. It being my birthday, I entered first. The guide knocked on the door as if to warn the entity we were now coming in. The first room was a living room that was decorated in a 1960s-ish style. I couldn't bring myself to enter the first bedroom. It felt off. I trusted my gut or so I thought, and then proceeded into the second bedroom. Big mistake. I felt a drop in temperature. Then my friend Issy sat on the bed and I was jokingly saying, Ooh, look at the EMF go crazy. What a joke. And as I stopped speaking, the wardrobe door swung open hard and fast, smashing into my left side. I screamed and the door swung back shut, after which we proceeded to hear scratching coming from within. I felt fuzzy, like the light-headed feeling you get when you stand up too fast kind of feeling. The guide gathered us around the kitchen and told us about the events that had happened here. As she was going through the supposed horrors that had occurred, I started to cry uncontrollably. I was composed, but I had tears streaming down my face. I was standing up and felt a hand grasp around my neck. It wasn't overly tight, but I could feel it. It gave me the creeps, but I continued not wanting to ruin anything for anyone else. I got out of there as soon as possible, but still found myself tearing up for the rest of the tour even when I was in bed trying to get some shut-eye. I should mention that my buddies decided to go back into the bedroom whilst I was outside, and they tried to recreate a way to open the door by jumping on the floorboards. They even opened the wardrobe to try and reveal any hidden hinges that may have been set up to give us a fright. They couldn't for the life of them open it up how it did to me. In fact, it didn't open up at all. Thanks for taking the time to read. I'll say again, you guys have helped me through some tough times in the last few years. Well, Jaden, I got to say, I have never in my life 
heard someone moon a ghost. And <laughs> I had to, uh, I had to take a moment. Yes, yes, we had to, we had to, we had to regroup because I think it was not just mooning the ghost. I think it was the use of of brown eye, like specifically the language was just I, because obviously you know my grandmother was Italian and she would tell us about the evil eye. Yes. The malocchio. And so now all I could picture was some Italian grandma just waving their butthole at a ghost to try and ward off curses from jealous neighbors. And it was not a great image, but it was a very funny one. <laughs> yeah. The Q station is quite famous. I, I thought it must be. Yeah. And Paul, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about Q station just so they understand what it is? Yeah. It was like an immigration center where people would be passed through it. Uh, before they were allowed passage into Australia. So it's got a notorious reputation for people being abused on a variety of levels and uh, people suffering from pandemics going through the, the camps there and people living in really awful conditions. So it's become one of the most notorious haunted locations in Australia. Um, I've, I'm, I'm sure if you look on, there's a there's a documentary done about 20 years ago called Australia's Most Haunted, which is really good, actually. Um, and they went to the Q station. What I didn't realize, because obviously Q stands for quarantine, I didn't realize it's kind of a resort now. You can mm. get married there. There's you know fancy hotels, which seems a little fucked up given its dark history. I, I don't know. It, there's something about that that seems a bit off. But thousands of people died here and were brutalized here in various strict quarantine procedures. And now... Come celebrate your bright day. I mean, maybe that's good. Maybe you're repurposing the land and you're you're putting a, a, a happier face on it. I don't know. I, I I am. I guess I do not have the. I'm not the person to make that call. But it, it seems a little odd. Mm. It is when you perhaps compare it to something like Ellis Island in New York, where the the hospital there I think's been repurposed as a as a sort of museum to everybody that passed through it. So they've got sort of they've opened the building up because it's been abandoned for decades, and. Uh, placed pictures of, of people that worked there or went through there on the walls. And it's designed so that as the building fades, so do they. It's quite interesting, actually. Jaden, thank you again for sharing. The VA from Benjamin. I've got a quick story from when I worked at a Veterans Affairs Hospital. I was never in the military, but I always had utmost respect for vets and active duty. My grandpa used to drive the shuttle bus, and I'd ride along with him when I was a kid. I had the honor of meeting a Tuskegee pilot once. Talk about a guy who's seen the worst shit and never expected to make it to his 80s. I feel extremely fortunate to have met that man. In 2009, I started working in research at the VA in the infectious diseases branch. While we were isolated from the rest of the hospital, a lot of vets worked there and were treated there. Sadly, many of them died there as well. Whenever someone passed, they would be rolled out draped in a flag feet first. It was the same hallway that led to the parking area I used. Needless to say, I shared the hallway with many of our recently deceased veterans. I worked and left early, so it was usually myself, the deceased, and the funeral home workers when these things occurred. Every single time I had the privilege of sharing the hallway in this manner, I noticed that it felt different. The best way to describe it is that feeling when you walk into a crowded elevator and turn around. You know they're back there, but you're not looking. Kind of like the third man effect. It never felt scary just like there was some sort of spectral honor guard going with the decedent. When my own grandpa passed, I got a similar feeling at his viewing. He was a CB1, defender of Wake Island. It makes me think the bond of being in those situations continues beyond this world. 
Thanks for being the guys you are. And thank you, Benjamin. That is really cool. We really appreciate you sharing that. One of the guys I interviewed for Strange back in the day was a doctor. And he, even though he was a doctor, and of course he was intimately familiar with, you know, the workings of the human body and and the various ways it can change, even he felt there was something substantial uh, that had changed about a body after death. I mean, obviously they're dead. So there is that. I'm not, I'm not unaware that this is a significant change, but he felt that there was something just fundamentally different about a body that consciousness had departed versus a body with a person in it beyond the obvious biological changes. Mm. I guess that's, that's where that notion of 21 grams comes from, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. The weight of the soul. allegedly. Do you know now? Do you know how that was arrived at? That that sort of that um, legend. Uh, it was an experiment, wasn't it? Done, wasn't there? Somebody who claimed to do experiments to show that the difference between a, a living body and a dead one was twenty one grams, and that's where it came from. Oh, it, very possibly. Let's let's find out. Let's ask Doctor Google before we go on to the next story here. <laughs> well, it is a movie with Sean Penn. Yes, I know that's not the one. Okay, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to dig in dig down a little bit a little bit more here. The 21 grams experiment refers to a scientific study published in 1907 by Duncan McDougall, a physician from Haverhill, Massachusetts. McDougall hypothesized that souls have physical weight and attempted to measure the mass lost by a human when the soul departed the body. McDougall attempted to measure the mass change of six patients at the moment of death. One of the subjects lost three quarters of an ounce, 21.3 grams. McDougall stated his experiment would have to be repeated many times before any conclusion could be obtained. It is widely regarded as flawed and unscientific due to the small sample size, the methods used, as well as the fact only one of the subjects met the hypothesis. Okay, there we go. Well, it's a great story, if nothing else. I knew I'd got that information locked away somewhere. Good old Duncan McDougall in Haverhill, Massachusetts. In fact, I think that's where Rob Zombie is from as well. Mm-hmm. You have you have your weird knowledge stored away? I have mine. <laughs> is yours more useful? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though it shows you it, it's such a flawed biased experiment and yet people still refer to it as though it's cast iron scientific fact yeah well there's so many things like that it's like the whole alpha thing you know the guy who who published that study about that behavior in wolves has since co- gone gone on to say boy howdy do i regret that but every dipshit who is uh, making too much noise at the gym it loves to talk about with him being an alpha and uh, good God, the number of people online who talk about, you know, again, alpha, beta, sigma, it, it, it just makes me want to retire the entirety of the internet. And the, again, the guy has said, this is not applicable to human behavior. This is barely applicable to wolf behavior, but it, it's just taken on a life of its own. Yes. It's never nice to see the Greek alphabet treated in such a manner. The Wisp from Chris. My name is Chris. I've been listening to you guys for a while, both for the spooky content and because, honestly, you guys' banter is great to listen to when I'm in a crummy mood. Y'all's friendship really shines through when you're busting each other's balls. It really helps if I'm having a shit day, so thank you for that. Anyhow, I just finished listening to the Swamp episode, and the faux filet segment made me want to reach out and share my wisp story. (laughs) I'm trying not to say it, I want to say it. Oh, no, you should definitely do it. Please say Hockamock. I grew up in the Hockamock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, God, I put that in there for you just for that reason alone. Thank you. This made my day. 
I grew up in the Hockamock area and still live in the Bridgewater Triangle area, but even though I have a lot of miscellaneous paranormal anecdotes from around here, this particular story happened down in North Carolina, just north of Hot Springs on the Appalachian Trail. This past summer, I was attempting a through-hike going north from Springer Mountain, Georgia, to Mount Catane, Maine, roughly 2,200 miles if I'd have pulled it off. All told, I managed about two-thirds of it, the southern section and the northern section, with about 700 miles to clean up in the middle, and a little bit in Maine, but anyway. I was hiking north out of Hot Springs after taking a couple of zero days to dodge some rain and take advantage of the damn good bars and food they have in that little town. Hiking out, I got a late start, that whole town inertia thing and the call of one more diner lunch before heading back into the woods to subsidy some ramen and Snickers. <laughs> I was planning on 11 miles that day, which would have brought me to a fire tower that the mobile guide I was using said had good camping for the night. I didn't leave town till after one. Listen, it was a good chicken fried steak and hash browns, okay? But even though I'm definitely not the fastest hiker, I had fresh inserts in my shoes and I was feeling pretty good after a couple days rest. Figured I'd reach my goal before dusk, set up camp, hand my bear bag and probably pass out shortly after nightfall. One of the cool things about the mobile guide is that you can leave comments regarding waypoints along the trail. The hikers use this to share information about such things as the viability of water sources, how to get in touch with helpful locals if you need to arrange a ride at a road crossing, or if there's an issue with the shelters and camping areas along the way. When I stopped for my late day meal, I checked to see if there were any new comments about the spot I was planning on that night. Much to my dismay, a hiker the night before had had to pack up the gear in the middle of the night and move along due to an aggressive bear in the area that was intent upon their food bag. Normally the bears take off if you make enough noise, at least for a while, but apparently this one couldn't give less of a damn and the guy had to actually abandon his hung food bag and get out of there. Since I was originally planning to camp by myself and I didn't want any piece of that action, I made the decision to press on the additional two plus miles to the next closest shelter. Added bonus, some hikers that I had made friends with on the trail had told me they were planning to stay there that night so I would have some camp buddies. Now this did mean I was going to be getting in after dark. I actually enjoy night hiking and especially did down in that area north of the Smokies. The sun goes down, the wind kicks up and this mist rolls in which sounds like it should be spooky for after a long day of hiking with a 30 pound bag on your back in the summer heat and humidity. Honestly feels like heaven. I messaged my husband the change of plan so he could stay up and watch my GPS dot moving along until I reached my new goal, got my headlamp out and kept on right along. I was maybe little more than half a mile from my destination walking along this straight ridge. The ground dropped semi-seeply off but there was plenty of space on either side of the trail, and with it continuing straight and level, it had shaped up to be a really pleasant night hike. I don't know why, but something made me look over my right shoulder. Not straight back, but back and to the side. There was a light. It wasn't round or conical like a flashlight in the mist. It was shaped. I guess picture a torch. How it would be if that main part of the flame around the top of the handle with the lick flame coming up off it and the colour was grey, not silver or white, but grey. 
Like when those energy-efficient light bulbs click off and there's that weird residual glow for a minute. That colour. It definitely wasn't on the trail behind me, so it wasn't a headlamp, and I was the last one to get into camp that night, so there was nobody behind me. It didn't look like a reflection of my own headlamp, which I'd gotten used to spotting on prior night hikes, and it was past and above where my own beam was showing up in the thin mist. What's more, remember how I said the ground dropped off on either side of the trail? So this light would have been out in mid-air, just a ball of grey fire with grey flames licking up off it, hanging in mid-air over a drop-off. Totally what you want to see when walking through the woods at night, am I right? Anyway, while I know you guys probably calling me a fucking fool fike. <laughs> anyway, while I know you guys probably call me a fucking fool for hiking alone, let alone at night. Yeah, yeah, I know. Don't fuck with the woods, but it's fun though. But when it comes to the paranormal shit, a fool I am not. The two big rules of spooky shit in the woods. If you hear somebody calling for you, no, you didn't. And if you see lights in the woods, those lights are none of your fucking business which was pretty much exactly word for word how my thought process went. Hey, look at that. That looks like none of my fucking business. Turned my head back forward, found a little bit more gas in the tank up to the hustle, thank goodness for the town calories, and rolled into camp about 10.30ish. Messaged my husband with my little GPS to let him know where I needed to be, set my hammock and tarp up, treated myself to a late-night Snickers bar reward for not getting kidnapped by the good folk, hung my bear bag from the cable set up the shelter area, and crawled into my hammock to sleep just in time for the rain to start. Anyway, that's my wisp story. I'm sure you've probably called me Seven Shades of Dumbass whilst reading this, but hey, at least I didn't follow it over the drop-off. Just wanted to say thank you again for you guys doing what you do. Whether I'm having a hard day at work or I was having a tough day on the trail, Listening to you guys is always a mood boost. The mental health PSA is also appreciated every time. If I find myself in the Montreal area while you're still there, Brennan, or if you or Paul find yourself in the Boston area, I've got some stories with a bit more meat to them, better shared over a few rounds than via email. Chris, thank you for the story, and you got a deal. I'm going to be here in Montreal until the end of May, and then I'll be back on the West Coast for a while, so... Uh, here, here's hoping, but if not, I, I really like it here. So I'm, I'm hoping to come back, but that's, uh, that's another conversation entirely. I love that story. That's just straight up paranormal will of the wisp stuff. I'm just in awe of, of her hiking ability. Incredible. Oh, that too. Absolutely. That was, I, I mean, we, I, we choke a lot about stay the fuck out of the woods and you know, I do, but no, I, I, that's really cool. I respect the shit out of anyone who's got the fortitude and the, uh, the wherewithal to to cover that much ground on their own in the woods that is really very very cool yeah yeah and good advice as well you know see a strange light none of your business Move that's on. exactly it yep and stay the shit away from bears too i mean that's that's a huge <laughs> thing i mean i grew up in a town where bears were an everyday literally an everyday occurrence you know you you could walk down the street and run into a bear this is a thing that happened and I don't know exactly if it's, it's because people don't spend as much time in the outdoors as they used to, but there is a little bit of this Instagramization of the natural world where people think, oh, it's a bear. I want to go take a picture of it or, or whatever. And you don't mess with bears, man. You just don't. They're adorable creatures, but they, they will tear you limb from limb. And they don't mean anything by it. It's, this is just what a bear does. 
And, uh, yeah, you really, really got to be respectful of nature when you're out there. And so Chris, again, my, my hat is off to you for that. I also thought it was really cool. Uh, one that I got to hear you say hock mock because man, that just <laughs> makes me happy. I'm going to leave that part of the story into, I don't care. hock mock Exactly. Just, it's, it's like when you speak in the Birmingham voice, it just makes my day every time. <laughs> great <laughs> yeah, that's it yeah, yeah but i also <laughs> want to say chris i think it's really cool that you and your husband can do this that you know you can go off and and do your hikes and your trips and your husband is cool with it and i say that because i also have that kind of relationship and it's not common and so whenever i come across that in the wild i like to just i like to say that just that, that i admire that because it it takes maturity you know it's it's not again not something a lot of people can do I, obviously, I've been in Montreal now for six months, almost six and a half months at this point. I'll have been here eight months by the time I'm done. And my wife was, she has been okay with it. You know, it's been a challenge. And I know we, some people in, in the Reddit, uh, which you can join, r slash ghost story guys podcast. But some people were saying, what the fuck is Brandon doing in Montreal? Has he talked about it? And I, and I haven't. I just mentioned that I'm here. Uh, but, but basically, I came here uh, as a hard reset. Because the pandemic and a bunch of other shit, I, I, I was so unhealthy. I was so unhappy. I had put on so much weight. I was having all these problems with my feet. You know, I, I, would, I could not walk sometimes and I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. And Victoria was just making me desperately, desperately unhappy. Or I should say I was, I was desperately unhappy in Victoria. Again, some people can thrive there and it's a very pretty city. It wasn't working that way for me. I had some friends living in Montreal who really loved it. And they suggested I come out for a while. And again, thankfully, my wife was very supportive and said, go do what you got to do to get yourself right. And so that's, that's why I'm here. And it's worked, you know, as, as I'm sure you've seen, you know, I've lost a ton of weight. Uh, it, it turns out I had plantar fasciitis and my podiatrist in Victoria completely missed it. Mm. So my, my first month here, I, I could barely walk. I, could, I, I couldn't even really leave my building. I could just kind of walk back and forth to the bathroom. I had all these... Uh, physiotherapy stretches I had to do. I got orthotics, managed to get my shit fixed. And again, now I'm in the best shape of my life, but it, it's taken a long time. And it just being completely outside my usual routines is what allowed that to happen. And again, without the support of my, and trust of my wife, I, I, it wouldn't have been possible. So again, I just, as, as someone in that situation, Chris, I wanted to, uh, to say, I think that is very, very cool. This next story is an audio story. This was sent in by our listener, Colin. Don't forget, if you want to send us audio like this, you can record it on your phone or whatever listening device you happen to have around and email it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. I was five years old when my family moved into a simple ivy-covered house outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. The house was built in the 60s and had nothing about it that would get it cast as a haunted house and even the lamest of ghost stories. But the land around the house has a long history due to the road being one of the oldest routes through the state. I suspected it's the history of the land that gave me my story. I can clearly recall the sunny morning in the room I shared with my brother. As I was blinking my eyes awake, I looked across the room to the bright window. That's when I saw a woman sitting cross-legged on the edge of my brother's bed. At first it seemed awkward that she was facing the wall and then it registered that her body was like still smoke in the sunlight. She was completely nude, and she was headless. Of 
course, I pulled the covers over my head to hide from the sight. And after a few minutes of trying to keep my frantic breath quiet, I looked again to find her gone. My mother said she almost fainted when she heard me telling my brother I'd just seen a headless woman sitting on his bed. Not just because this is a scary thing to hear a child say, but because just the week before my father had seen the headless woman, this time clothed, glide out of their bathroom to lean over my mother, then stand up and vanish. This started a conversation about ghosts and hauntings in my family, where I found out about my grandmother seeing spirits as a young girl and of family friends having interactions with ghosts. And it started a lifelong interest in the supernatural for me. I began to read everything I could about ghosts and haunted places, but reading really doesn't touch the reality of seeing. Like the Saturday morning, I woke up early and took my pillow and blanket into the den to watch cartoons before anyone else got up. I had only one foot on the carpet of our TV room when I was shocked still by the sight of the woman, again sitting cross-legged, again nude and headless, in the middle of the room. I was instantly through the door with the lights on, my blood pounding in my ears, and the hopes that she would not come through the door after me. After a while, when I could, I looked into the room to find it empty and the sun coming up. That was the last time I saw the apparition, but not the last of our interactions. And I can't recall the number of times as I entered and went through my teens that a light would flicker back on after I had turned it off or the TV would come back on as I was leaving the room. I never felt any malice from her and it was a pretty gentle haunting. My father recently recalled seeing a hanging plant bouncing by itself in an empty room. Spooky, but not scary. At least not until the night of my 15th birthday. I had three friends stay over to celebrate. We had set up the tent in the backyard so that we could stay up and be loud without disturbing my family, but there was a pressure in the air that night and a low fog coming up from the creeks nearby. And though they weren't a fixture of my stretch of the highway, we could hear a herd of cattle lowing through the quiet country night. This atmosphere outside stirred my friends up a little, and so we decided to go into the den to watch TV until we fell asleep. But that never happened. Dean, Pat, Bobby, and I were sitting in a close circle, talking out our teen ideas with the TV murmuring behind me when I saw Dean and Bobby jump in unison. Dean hoarsely whispered, Dude, do you hear that? And Bobby replied, Shut up, just shut the F up, you didn't hear nothing. Pat and I started excitedly asking what they had heard because we had heard nothing at all. And they said that they had heard a girl say my name. Of course, sounding like the little girl from Poltergeist. We thought it might be my sister, so I went to check, but she was fast asleep. And so we sat and talked about anything else we could think of to distract us from the scare and ease the tension. But then somewhere in our ramblings, one or two of them, I can't remember, heard a crying that turned to laughter. And that's when I became frightened. Lights turning on and seeing quiet figures in the middle of the room, even headless ones, was one thing. But crying and laughing in the middle of the night was quite another We didn't know what to do but to stay put and talk a lot. Eventually, Pat and I had to use the bathroom, of course. 
and so it being my house, my ghost. I had to go first to make sure the coast was clear, even though I wasn't feeling all that brave. After making it to the bathroom without incident, I headed back to the den. I saw Pat waiting in the dining room, and as soon as I saw him, I saw him jump like a rabbit up and sideways through the door into the den. When I got in there, he was telling my friends about how he had heard a gasp, looked over, and saw in the coat rack mirror a person in a Civil War uniform standing next to him who was headless. None of us slept or moved that night until we got up to call a friend's father to come get him at five in the morning, and I don't recall any of them staying over after that. And the rest of my teen years passed as I've told with flickering lights and TVs coming back on and me wondering why she called my name, but I didn't hear her. Colin, thank you for sharing. Letters from Mexico, part two, from Claudia. Another time, I was in an old town around here with my mom as tourists. We love to go into churches, even if we're not Christian or religious anymore. We're a mix of many things, which I'm glad my mom gave me that freedom and even followed me along that way because paranormal stuff doesn't scare me the way it did before when everything was the devil. So we decided to enter this little church in the middle of town. I kid you not, both of us stopped the moment we stepped inside the church because we felt the most terrifying, disgusting feeling you could possibly imagine. To the point it made my stomach hurt. In another city, known as the capital of the exorcisms here in Mexico, I stayed in an old hotel with my parents. They were in a big bedroom, and I was in another, alone. I couldn't sleep at all, feeling so afraid you have no idea. I had never felt so scared in my life. I couldn't sleep that night having to turn on a light and put on my music. Because of the nightmares I had, I think I only slept two or three hours. I didn't say anything, thinking maybe it was the stress of being with my dad, but I still felt there was someone on the door watching and talking to me. The second night I tried to sleep, I couldn't. I had to ask my mom to sleep with me. That helped a little, but I was a 26-year-old person who has seen ghosts, shadow people, done astral travel, and been very close to death on many occasions, but I still had to cover my body with blankets and face my mom holding her hand. That was the night when I realized why I was feeling like that. I've always had vivid dreams, but this one was not just vivid. It was like this man, the ghost, held me and showed me whatever he wanted me to see. I saw him and his brother and sister-in-law fighting for that land, the land where the house is built, and how he died in that same bedroom, so angry and full of hate towards his brother because he couldn't have the house for himself. I woke up crying and shaking that morning. Also, later on, my mom told me that I woke up twice that night, sitting straight up, just looking in one direction, and she had to push me back into bed to get to sleep. On the third night, I slept with my parents in the other bedroom. We came back years later with all the family, and I told them I would rather sleep in a different hotel than sleep in that bedroom again. My mom had asked me not to say anything about this to my siblings, but even so, when my sister and niece passed that particular room, they said they both felt uneasy. In that same city, in 2022, I went to visit two friends. We were walking around and we visited a place that had antiques. We were just curious and trying to find some art, so we went into this large building that has a bunch of smaller stores inside, and we decided to enter the very last one at the end. I was very relaxed, I was hanging out with my friends. Then we split up for a few minutes, and I ended up in one particular corner, 
All of a sudden, I couldn't stop myself. I started feeling sad and depressed to the point where I felt like crying. I had to leave the store to cry it out. I'm even crying right now just remembering that feeling. It was sad, but I was curious why this happened. I went back inside. <laughs> I'm smart, I know. I wanted to figure out what it was. What was the object that made me feel so sad? Finally, I was face to face with a sewing machine. I didn't dare touch it, but it wasn't necessary. Because as my friend kept looking at other stores, I had to sit and cry. Because suddenly I saw it as clear as if it was my own memory. An old woman used that sewing machine to make dresses for her sisters and family. She didn't marry or have kids at least. And she was very sad. I don't know if she was sad because she didn't have anyone else in her life or if she had depression. But whatever it was, it was so, so strong. And I had to cry for her. Again, I'm not religious, and I don't believe that just prayers alone will send a ghost to a better place, but I do believe in speaking and asking. When we went out, I mentally asked that she didn't follow me, and I hoped she could find some peace, or at least some happiness. And again, that is part two of three from Claudia. We have one more at the end of the show, and I just want to say thank you again, Claudia. Have you ever had that experience, Paul, that sort of experience of extreme empathy, where you pick up those kinds of things from, from the environment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happened, happened to me in Scotland. I just felt deeply uncomfortable. Oh, really? Whereabouts were you? Glencore. Just didn't like it at all. Had to had to leave. Interesting. Just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, we were supposed to stay there two nights and we left after one. Very odd. Never had anything hit me as, as, as hard as that, I have to say. And can you pin down anything more definite than, than just like being uncomfortable? Or was it, was it just a general dis uh, unease? I just didn't feel comfortable there I just I was very unsettled I couldn't sleep I just didn't like being there at all I felt deeply uneasy interesting but only when it was dark oh fascinating right but um, yeah just didn't like it at all didn't like huh. it whatsoever I know um Anthony has a story uh Anthony of course works with us on the show here he had this experience here on or pardon me over on Vancouver Island in the town of Coombs where they have this, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different, uh, what do you call it, pawn shops and things. We've told the story in the show before, but as I recall, he was walking through the, the aisles of stuff and he passed this one particular area and I believe it was a feeling of rage. And he managed to narrow it down to this one, I want to say it was a framed hockey jersey that was just infused with, with some kind of rage. And he didn't, I don't think he understood exactly why. He could just feel it and it was very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking too about Jaden's story. You know, I mean, we got kind of hung up on uh, the butthole thing, which I mean, you know, that'll happen. But, you know, the fact that, that Jaden had those, those tears, you know, kind of unbidden tears. And, and obviously I think there's just, again, a certain amount of basic empathy because you're hearing these horrible stories. But I, I think sometimes these things can affect us in such a way that we don't even notice it happening. Yeah. You know, you just get these, again, these sort of sympathetic tears and I think it's important to just let it come. I think trying to stifle it is just not going to do you any good. Mm -hmm. I mean, and plus it, it it's interesting how it happens. It only happens to some people, not everyone. So you would say, well, it's clearly not some kind of resonance going on or some kind of environmental factor that's causing it. It's clearly some kind of connection that affects individuals on that basis. Yeah, you, you have to be able to kind of dial into and feel. Uh, I want to say too, Claudia, that I've had that experience of feeling deeply uncomfortable about a church. There was a church back in Victoria, I won't say where, but there was a church that I remember back when I was driving around a lot at night before I had to sell the car, 
I would, whenever I would drive past it, it's, it's not on a street that was part of my regular routines because there's sort of, you know, dead ends and one ways around it. But whenever I would pass it, I always felt very uncomfortable with this particular church. And if I remember correctly, a friend of mine mentioned that her partner had, I think they used to perform there. Their partner was a, was a professional musician. And I believe, uh, as, as a young man, and I believe they would perform there from time to time. And she would usually go to his events to, you know, just kind of show support. But I seem to recall her saying that she declined to go in there after a while because something about that church felt very, very off. And I, I think it's always a good idea to, to remain conscious of that stuff because I know we, we sort of have this, this idea that, well, church is safe. Because in the movies, when you're running from the monster, you're safe in the church. But, you know, <laughs> a church is only as good as the people inside it. So it's always good to keep your wits about you and, and be very aware that, uh, yeah, of, of what's going on. So again, I think you made the right choice, Claudia. When that, when you felt like that and you thought, no, let's get the hell out of here. Always a way to go. Under the street from Terry. I was hesitant to write this story because it's so hard to explain. This was the beginning of my lifelong experiences with the paranormal. When I was about five years old, my family lived in an old part of Milwaukee, in a lower flat of a duplex. It wasn't a huge place, so my sister and I shared a bedroom. Across the street from the house was a parkway with a creek running through it alongside a cemetery with some very old graves in it, some from the Civil War. My sister and I had twin beds. Hers was positioned near the only window in the room, and mine was set against a wall. At bedtime, she would immediately fall to sleep and continue to sleep soundly all night. I would initially fall asleep too, or I would be awakened shortly afterwards by a horrible feeling. The only way I can describe it is that it felt the only way I can describe it is that it felt like pulsing energy pressing down on me in waves and made me feel sick. If you had to give it a visual, it would have looked like a lava lamp, but with different sized blobs moving back and forth. It was terrible and happened every night until I finally fell back asleep exhausted. It became so bad I would sit up in bed each night against the wall and try not to fall asleep in fear of it starting up. My childhood was full of parental dysfunction, so I didn't tell my parents about it. Plus, it was impossible to explain. This continued until we moved out of the house five years later. The basement of the house also had a terrible vibe. I was scared to death to go down there as a child and I still dream about it sometimes. Fast forward 55 years and something happened that might explain this experience. I was having dinner with a friend who's a civil engineer and we were discussing where we grew up. So I mentioned the parkway and the cemetery. He said, oh wow. I worked on a big project on the street in front of your old house in the 1980s. The city needed to dig up the streets in front of the house to remove old streetcar tracks. As they dug deeper, they discovered three layers of children's bones buried under the street. They were eventually traced back to Native American peoples that had lived near the creek at one time. The thought that it was a disease, maybe cholera that had killed so many children at once. I strongly believe that it was the children's energy reaching out to me each night, maybe unhappy that their young lives were taken prematurely. This revelation has helped me enormously to find a possible reason for this happening to me as a child. Thank you for sharing that, Terry. 
That must happen all the time over there. You guys are covered in dead bodies. <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah. I mean, it it seems that whenever they try to do anything in the London underground, they always seem to come across a plague pit or something or a mass grave of some description. And I know that they're currently building a, a new rail line from, from London to the north called the HS2. And they are constantly finding graves and bones and skeletons all the way along it. So really? So, uh, so there's all sorts being found everywhere. So it's nothing. Nothing surprises me here anymore. There's, you dig deep enough, you'll find a grave of some culture of somewhat. So that's going to be one haunted ass train. So is this going to be like a subway running all the way to the north? No, it's uh, it's overland. So it's uh, to oh, okay. say it's controversial would be an understatement. What makes it controversial? Because nobody sees the point in spending billions and billions of pounds just so we can get to London twenty minutes quicker. And I think the budgets quadrupled oh of course so this is one of those pork barrel projects where everyone's making a everyone's making a buck off the uh the public dime yeah so they've suspended it now because obviously they know they're going to lose the next election so they're going to leave it for the new government to deal with <laughs> oh boy great <laughs> but they're just cutting you know just going through all kinds of places and houses are being undervalued and Oh man! Projects are being dismantled because nobody wants to be anywhere near this new train line now. So it's causing massive ruptions all 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 across it so far. So it's just yeah, typical um, British foresight, or rather English I mean, I, foresight. <laughs> I could see if it was maybe a like a maglev train or something. You know, if it was going to be London to the north in two hours or something like that. But if for marginal improvement, again, it just seems like a way to mix to get some contractors some money. Yeah. Well, it takes two hours to get from Sheffield to London anyway. Oh, really? I For some reason, I thought it was longer than that. No, it doesn't take long at all. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's irrelevant because it, it doesn't matter how quick you get to London. You've still got to get from London train station on, on the underground. So wherever you go, it's not, it's not really going to make anything quick. It might knock about three minutes off your trip. Oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how good the train is over there. I mean, obviously you guys, it has, you know, there are issues, but just, you know, we have such limited rail service here in Canada that I, I forget that, you know, that is a thing that's possible. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to that event, uh, for Andrew Piper at Little Ghost Books mm -hmm. at the end of May. And I'm taking the train to Toronto for that. But I mean, that, that will be literally my first ever train trip in within Canada because out West, it's just not a thing. Mm. I love traveling by train. I think it's great. Hell yeah. I, I, I like it way more than the bus. It's it's like a bus that doesn't suck. It's like a, a bus that's not going to roll off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're getting the train to Scotland, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. So currently, is how do you get there? Just drive, bus, fly? You can fly. I mean, if you fly to Scotland, it takes about 35 minutes from here. Right. So it isn't too bad, but um, we're going up the east coast all the way from Sheffield across and uh, and up into Edinburgh. So I'm looking forward to that. It's about three and a half hours. Oh, very cool. Is there like an ETA? Uh, well, you know, trains are not the most reliable thing. When they, when they turn up, they're, they're great. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think I, I might have mentioned to you, but one of the guys in my improv class that I'm taking used to be an Edinburgh tour guide. Mm. So, uh, uh, sorry, a, a ghost tour guide in Edinburgh. Yeah. So uh, one of these days I'm hoping to try and prevail upon him to tell me some of the, the great Edinburgh ghost stories. Asking about the uh, the wizard. If they only have the one, that that should be enough. If you mention the okay. wizard, and take a seat and uh, <laughs> be shocked, disgusted, and astounded about the stories you will hear. Thomas Muir, Thomas Muir, Thomas Muir. 
think his name okay. was. Yeah. Well, folks, you Google the wizard and I will harangue the poor guy in my class. <laughs> Don't do it at work. <laughs> that was that was a frantic warning. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for anybody reading that with somebody looking over their shoulder. Ah, fair. Like when I gave, like when I gifted someone my copy of Naked Lunch and they read it on their commute. <laughs> don't worry about that. I like reading communion on a train, France people. Uh, Naked Lunch was more, I think, the graphic descriptions of sex acts. They were concerned about someone reading over their shoulder. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember once being on a plane reading a, uh, I forgot. I forgot which Bigfoot book it was, but the person sat next to me just kept giving me worrying sideways glances and smiling at me nervously. Oh, really? Just because of a Bigfoot book? Not even a Chuck Tingle Bigfoot book? <laughs> yeah, just a normal one. We've <laughs> <laughs> doing this job for six years. There's such thing as just a normal Bigfoot book. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The things you learn. We, we were actually tagged by someone on Instagram uh, in, a, in a Bigfoot erotica meme and- <laughs> They said, can you confirm, is this real? And I said, we can confirm. We're just not happy about it. <laughs> yes, there are uh, erotica titles that cover all aspects of the supernatural and the Fortean world. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. I I stumbled across, and I'm I, let's not even get into how this happened, but <laughs> it, it is it is an adult entertainment website that is kind of patterned after horror movies. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you were playing Silent Hill and you thought, boy, I want to fuck that. This would be the website for you. I don't know who that person is, but it exists. And boy, oh boy, I was scarred. Also, don't look that up at work. <laughs> or at home. Or at home. Yeah, just don't do it. Just don't, don't do, it. do it. I stop suffered, it. so you don't have to. Just stop it. See <laughs> the motto for this show. Just stop it. <laughs> Mr. Nolan and Boner advise you to stop it. (laughs) This is the final story from Claudia and the final story for tonight. This is Letters from Mexico, part three. When I was 25, 26 years old, I began to have bad nights. Nightmares, just night after night. Lucid once at my parents' house. The same childhood house where I saw the angels on the ceiling. And in all of them, I would see a tall shadow person at the door of my bedroom, making me stay. And more than once, awake, I would see it in the corner of my eye. And two times I felt myself leaving my body while sleeping. Again, this is something I've done before. And one of those times he dragged me from the bed, taking my legs and trying to pull me over. I would be screaming at my mom because I knew she was watching TV with my dad in the living room. I even saw my sister arriving with her kids. Finally, my mom and my sister ran in and woke me up. She said I was pale and I felt sick as hell. Another night, I felt again like I'd gone out of my body. And this time I was trying to go out of my bedroom and I was trying to get past this tall ass man pushing him and hitting him. Of course, he didn't let me and he said I could not leave. I don't want to go into too much detail on this, but I had to go to another witch we knew and make a limpia, a cleansing, basically. When coming back to my house in the old city, I saw him again. This time I woke up in the night... I didn't have Lucifer, my cat yet, by the way, and I saw him in the corner at the door of the bedroom. I was angry and tired. I just wanted to finish this. So I did what I always do now. I told him to go fuck himself, that I didn't need or want him around, and if he came back, I would fuck him up. Yes, those words, but in Spanish. I turned around and covered myself. 
I never saw him again. I say him because I felt like it was a him. But there was also a good shadow person. It was the same, a tall black figure, but this time it was different. It was night in my apartment. Again, this was the old city, no Lucifer yet. I woke up and I wasn't scared. I was on a twin-sized bed in the corner, so there was a lot of space around. I like to sleep with my back to this space, and I clearly felt someone large and heavy crawling over the bed, lying at my back and hugging me, like they were the big spoon. I didn't feel scared. In fact, I felt peaceful and loved. I remember closing my eyes and saying, hey, just don't move a lot because I have to wake up early tomorrow. Whoever or whatever it was, they agreed and I had one amazing sleep. I have my own theories as to who or what it was, but that's a whole other story. And Claudia, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Again, I believe you are the first listener from Mexico to send us stories, if I'm not mistaken. We've had, I think, a couple of stories generally from there, but I believe you are the first listener and we love them. So thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who sent stories in. And uh, Paul, do you have any thoughts on that one? No, it's very interesting. But I like the fact that they're able to differentiate between the, the feelings that the similar type of entities give off, which often people overlook that whenever they talk about shadowy beings, there's always a negative connotation attached to them. But um, I've seen more and more people relate positive stories where they encounter such a creature as well now, which is interesting that it seems to be pulling away from being a, a totally negative experience for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I wonder if it's because our understanding of these things are evolving. Mm. You know, like we, we're kind of coming from this era where Everything was a demon, you know, like Claudia said, you know, she grew up heavily Christian. And so everything that was not, you know, that did not function according to what she had been told, like that was, she was told to think that was a demon. And again, I wonder if maybe expanding that awareness has allowed us to differentiate between the different kinds of things. Hmm. I mean, I, I think even maybe in popular, I could be wrong, but I think even in popular entertainment, uh, you know, ghost shows and things like that, I think they're moving away from the whole demonic model as well. Although again, I, I don't know if that's correct. What, what are your thoughts there? I don't watch enough of them to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair. Well, that's, that's really the way to go. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure plenty of people do. So uh, they will hopefully inform us and educate us if the uh, if there is a sea change in the uh, in the way that these shows are coming across. Yeah, definitely. If you watch a lot of those shows, let us know. Ghoststoryguys at gmail dot com. Uh, also, I, I wanted to say that I love that on this episode we have not one but two stories of people just telling the paranormal to go fuck itself. <laughs> Claudia quite literally just saying, hey, buddy, kick rocks. And then Jaden just saying, hey, ghost, here's my butthole. <laughs> well, again, Claudia, Jaden, Colin, Chris, Terry, Benjamin, thank you so, so, so much for sharing your stories with us. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. And if you're out there, you're listening, whether you're a new listener or a longtime listener, we would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, 
there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks as always to the rest of the Ghost Story Guys team, Luke, Sarah, Anthony, and Joseph. Luke, of course, host of the Luke Lore podcast and currently very, very ill. So I wanted to take a minute to just send lots of love out to Luke. Get better. Uh, he has been he's been struck down with, with shingles in a really goddamn bad way from the sound of it. So again, hopefully, uh, hopefully that clears up. I will say, though, the guy managed to rally enough to get out an episode of Luke Lore. So you can download episode 67, The Call of the Owls, anywhere podcasts live. Again, just search for Luke Lore. Don't forget to check out Joseph's show, The Cardinal Rule. That's a show about Arizona Cardinals football. And of course, we co-host the independent horror movie podcast, Weird Together. And thanks to you. Of course, my friend and co-host, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, the one, the only, Paul Bestel, host of Mysteries and Monsters. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? It's a mixed bag. Coming up at the moment, we will be diving into the legends of King Arthur and Merlin and everything that all that contains to uh, drill down to the real Arthur. And yes, he did exist. Interesting. Uh, this, this surprised me, so I'm very eager to hear that show. And then, obviously, I'll be uh, diving into Bigfoot the following week with Dr. Russ Jones. I dig it. And where can everyone find you online? Mysteries and Monsters is on all podcast hosting platforms and across all social media networks. Brilliant. I'm Largely the Truth on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find my podcasts Largely the Truth with Brennan Store and Weird Together, everywhere fine podcasts live. As we said at the top of the show, we love our patrons. We have a great community of people. And if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have physical rewards, digital rewards, and we have our monthly live shows for patrons at the $10 level and above. Paul and I just did that last week. It was, I believe, two hours long, and you get both the video and audio versions of that. And again, you get all of that at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And of course, 
if you support the show at the $20 level and above, that makes you part of a very, very elite club. Elite even more than the butthole showing ghosts or the people who tell ghosts to go pound sand. It makes you part of Ghost Force. <laughs> That's right. Patrons who support the show at $20 and above get thanked every second episode in this segment, in this voice. What a voice. What a voice. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Asim Saragon. Amy Chamberlain. Brody Daniels. Carrie Lambertus. Cheryl Baker. Crazy Mom. Generic Bob. Hannah Brown. Hannah Siemens. Hillary Disassour. Jade Moores. Jane Doe. Jason R. Slaughter. Slaughter, 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 Slaughter. JJ907. Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Sharko. Jessica Linder. Joseph Como. Kimberly Hansen. Maddie Leatherman. Mara Noriega. Mark Sembler. Peter Gunn 08.5. Rebecca Brink. Ronda Sheen. And Robin Tien. Whoa. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. <laughs> Guys, really, thank you so, so much for your support. Thanks to all our patrons, but especially thank you to Ghost Force. Again, we couldn't do this without you. And if you'd like to have your name read out in that segment, whatever it is, <laughs> shoot us in here. Whatever you'd like to be called. Whatever, yeah, would come up with come up with a name. Come up with weird things for us to say. Come up with with I don't I don't even know. Casper's butthole. Something like this. Something crazy like that. Baby cakes unicorn. Yep, that works too. I, I think that's probably better than anything I came up with. So go with Paul's idea. <laughs> yeah, it just occurred to me. You can make your name whatever you want. You can force us to say almost you can even Zach Baggins is great. You know, I mean like if if that was your username, as much as I may hate you, and will you will find me up standing above you as you sleep in revenge, uh, <laughs> I would still have to say it. <laughs> My producer is informing me it just got weird. Okay. Again. Uh, yeah, again, still, still. Moving on. <laughs> if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash guys. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. You can also make a one-time donation there. If you don't want to do the Patreon thing, you can sign up there. Or if you are an Apple subscriber, if you listen to the show via iTunes or Apple Podcasts now, and you want to sign up, but you don't want to have to deal with all the patron nonsense, you can sign up to Ghost Story Guys Premium via your, uh, via your Apple Podcasts app. And that gets you access to most of the patron content, not all of it. Uh, some of it's just for copyright reasons. We can't port it over. But you also get the ease of accessing everything through the Apple Podcasts app. And again, you can subscribe to Ghost Story Guys Premium via Apple Podcasts. And again, the price will vary depending on your region, but you get access to lots of cool stuff, including early release and ad-free episodes. Paul, you got any spots coming up? Uh, well, currently I've got the interview with Reeves at Paratalk out there, and uh, you can track that down, but I should be appearing on Supernatural Circumstances in the next few weeks as well. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to that one. Yes, talking all things Popper. Popper the ghost. Like like Papa, like Big Papa? No. 
The poltergeist case, which was allegedly the inspiration for poltergeist. Oh, oh, very cool. But it was Papa, like P-A-P-A? No, P-O-P-P-E-R. Oh, okay, okay. Like the guy from Blues Traveler, not like, yeah, okay. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Oh, that's going to be very cool. Uh, I, of course, I was on Supernatural Circumstances recently. You'll find that on their RSS feed. And I was also a guest on a patron episode of Dark Poutine. And that is uh, the episode. It's not out yet. I think, or actually it might be out by the time this airs publicly, but uh, either way, my interview was patron only. So you have to be a subscriber of Dark Poutine to get that. But uh, Mike and I had a really great conversation. He's a, he's a good dude. And it went to some unexpected places, we'll say, which I guess shouldn't surprise anyone who listens to this show at this point. <laughs> One can only imagine. Also, as I mentioned earlier in the show, my audio script for Paul Kane's Nightmare on 34th Street, as well as a download code for the audio drama itself, and an essay from me are all included in Nailbiters 2 a short story collection from horror author Paul Kane, and that will be available on Amazon by the time you hear this. Shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. You can find their music streaming anywhere you get your tunes. Again, that's Rainy Days for Ghosts. Or if you want to hire Jerry for your next project, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Goes, composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, Into the Darkness We Go. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, boner. <laughs> There's a t-shirt. Hey, Catherine. <laughs> you can do a ghost dog. <laughs> there we go. Boner the boner. ghost dog. Yeah. That's Mr. Yeah. Nolan's dog. Yes. <laughs> God, Brandon's going to hear about that. He is not going to want to come back on the show. What did you do to Mr. Nolan? His dog is named what? I'm out of here. <laughs> Coming up after Hannah Montana, oh boner. <laughs> it could even be like a buddy cop show. Bolin and Noner. No, 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 Nolan and <laughs> Nolan Boner. Nolan and Boner. <laughs> yeah. Ba 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 Nolan and Boner. Nolan and Boner. You know, they got like the, the, you know, the 80s guitar like in Miami Vice. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've, I've sent, like, spent like 70 hours in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I have such an affinity for Greece now when before I did not give a shit, and <laughs> I am not happy about this. Neither is Socrates. <laughs> that's a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure reference for you kids out there. Uh, and also for you kids, that's the guy who plays John Wick, but a long time ago. <laughs> One of the cool things about the mobile... Mobile... Fucking hell, my man. Brain's gone to... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
fucking shit here. <laughs> uh, hang on, I gotta fix this here. <laughs> oh god, why is it falling? No. Okay. All good? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, the dogs decided to come in and, and go to sleep. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what what comes first. I feel like does stop it come first or does butthole come first? What is the appropriate order of operations here? I feel like yeah, 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 yeah. I went blank. I went totally blank. Have we discovered a black hole? Yeah, it's facing us. Cool. Well, well, another thing for me to worry about. That's good. Wow, Gandhi is rising from his grave. He's headed your way like a land shark. You must be reading a very different history book to the ones we are taught here, sir.